We read the Holy Scriptures together in Matthew 21. Let's read the first 22 verses of the chapter, and the text will be the first nine verses. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them and straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, And they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, Have ye never read, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise? And he left them, and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it, and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. We read God's word that far.
Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, sometime after the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus in the Holy Mountain, which we considered last Sunday, Jesus departed from Galilee and he never returned. He departed from Galilee, the land where he was raised, and he traveled with his disciples southward and went into a land on the eastern side of the Jordan River, a land known as Perea. And there he carried on his ministry. This was the last phase of his ministry on this earth. And Jesus taught many parables to the people and also performed many miracles during this time. It was during this time that Jesus, at one point, traveled across the Jordan River to Bethany and raised Lazarus from the dead. And those who witnessed that miracle, one of his most famous miracles, were some of the very same people who would follow him on his glorious entry into Jerusalem that we are considering today. But this great multitude of people that was following Jesus at this time had a wrong notion about the kingdom of God. A notion that the kingdom of God was about to come on this earth and that it was going to be a glorious kingdom on this earth. When the Passover feast drew nigh, Jesus and his 12 disciples left the land of Perea and traveled across the Jordan River and entered the city of Jericho. And it was there that Jesus healed blind Bartimaeus. And it was there that he went into the house of sinful Zacchaeus and saved him. Jesus departed from Jericho on his way up to Jerusalem and came into the town of Bethany. There he visited with his old friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, on the Sabbath day, Saturday. The next day was Sunday, the first day of the last week of his life on earth, a week which we often know as the Passion Week. On that Sunday, Jesus and his disciples left Bethany, which was a small town situated on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives. And they began the two-mile journey from Bethany to Jerusalem. It was a well-traveled road. Probably many other pilgrims were walking on that road, heading up to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. There was a little village called Bethphage on that route between Bethany and and Jerusalem. But this very ordinary road would become the scene of a most extraordinary event that day. Because on this road into Jerusalem, into the eastern gate, Jesus would ride triumphantly and demonstrate that he is the royal son of David. So let's consider the triumphal entry of David's son. First of all, a glorious entrance. Secondly, a lowly king. And finally, a prophecy's fulfillment. By his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus was very intentionally and visibly demonstrating to the whole world 
that he is the Messiah, that he is the King of Israel, the son of David. As Jesus was walking in front of his entourage, his disciples and the multitude, leaving Bethany, walking down the road, he came to a point where he could see that little village of Bethphage there just a short way off the road. And it was at that point that he issued an order to two of his disciples, just like a king might issue orders to his servants. He says to them in verse 2, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. He was asking the disciples, commanding them to go into that village and fetch for him a steed to ride into the city. Because a king ought to ride into his city, not walk. Jesus had walked into Jerusalem many times on other occasions, but this was a special occasion. This time, unlike all the other times, he would ride. The disciples obeyed their master. They recognized his royal authority. They went into the village. They found the mother donkey with her baby donkey and They fetched them and brought them to Jesus. This baby donkey, this colt, this foal of an ass, was one that had never been ridden on before by another human being. We read of that in the parallel account. Therefore, it was perfectly prepared by God for this special occasion of the coming of the king. When they brought the mother donkey with the baby donkey up to Jesus, they took one of their garments, or a few of them, and laid them over top of the back of the colt, the young donkey. They also laid some of their clothes on the road in front of the donkey. And then they hoisted Jesus up and set him onto that baby donkey. Other people began to stream out of the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem, waving palm fronds in their hands, that they had plucked from the trees in the city and perhaps outside of the city. And the multitude began to lay the palm branches down on the road along with their garments. Now, of course, from all practical points of view, that was totally unnecessary. There was nothing practical about this act. Rather, God moved them to do it in order to shine his spotlight on Jesus and to show him to be one of royal splendor. They were laying out, as it were, the red carpet for Jesus to ride into the city in royal state and majesty. Jesus then began to ride. He rode the rest of the journey down the western slope of the Mount of Olives. He could see the city off in the distance, and very soon he rode the little donkey, through the gate and into the city. This was something Jesus had not done in any other city. He did not ride into Nazareth. He did not ride into Bethlehem. He did not ride into Capernaum. He rode into Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was known from ancient times 
to be the city of the great king. We sang earlier from Psalm 48, a beautiful psalm of praise for Jerusalem, the beautiful city of the great king situated there on Mount Zion in the mountains of Judea. It was the city that David had conquered and made his capital city and ruled from Jerusalem for many years. It was the capital of the sons of David after him. And even at this time of Jesus, it was still recognized as the city of the great king. It had long been supposed that when the Messiah comes, he will come to Jerusalem, he will ride into Zion, he will set up his kingdom there. And so Jesus rode into Jerusalem. All of these details were orchestrated by God in his providence and carried out by Jesus through his intention in order to demonstrate him as the Messiah, the King of Israel. And Jesus rode into Jerusalem on this particular day and at this time to reveal that at last he would indeed establish his kingdom. For three years plus, he had gone about through the countryside and the towns of Judea, Samaria, and Galilee, preaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But now, the king rides into the city, and by that act, he makes plain the time has come. As Jesus is riding the colt down the western slope of the Mount of Olives, We have to picture swarms of people all around him. His 12 disciples standing, walking next to him, behind him, but also in front of him. There are many people coming out of the city to meet him, following him from Bethany, so that a great crowd, a multitude, is swarming around him. And they begin to lift up a mighty chorus of praise. They begin singing When we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because all four Gospels record this event, we find a little bit different teaching about what the people were singing. And that doesn't mean there's a contradiction between the Gospels. It simply means that they were singing all of these things, and it was a mass jumble of songs and chants and singing. We have to picture this glorious scene of people waving their palm branches, casting down their clothes as Jesus rides down the mountain into Jerusalem. According to Matthew, some of them were singing these words, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We're all quite familiar with the word Hosanna, but do we know what it means? The word Hosanna means, save now, I beseech thee. The people were singing Psalm 118, verses 25 through 26. There we read this, save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. Hosanna, O Jehovah. O Jehovah, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They were singing to Jesus, Hosanna, save now, we pray thee, O Son of David, save us. Send now prosperity, send now thy blessing. 
By that song, they were acknowledging that the one riding on that donkey was the Lord. In all capital letters, Jehovah himself come down into the world was riding on that donkey. And they were crying out to him, Save now, we beseech thee, O Jehovah. Send now prosperity. It was an acknowledgement that salvation comes from Jehovah and from him alone. And blessed, they said, is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. According to Mark, they were shouting similar things. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. According to Luke, blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. According to John, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Obviously, the people were singing the blessedness of Jesus. They were shouting with joy the blessedness of the king of Israel, the son of David, the heir to the throne. They were acknowledging him to be the rightful descendant of King David, the one who ought to sit on the throne and inherit the kingdom of his father. Remember that the promise of God to David was that he would always have a son to sit upon his throne. And the meaning of that promise was that ultimately he would send the Messiah in the line of David. And the Messiah would be the one to sit upon that throne for all eternity, world without end. The people are acknowledging Jesus. This is the Messiah. This is the heir of the promises to David. This is the king of Israel, and blessed is he. This was, for Jesus, a most wonderful foretaste of the day when he would ride triumphantly into the Jerusalem that is above. Jesus was experiencing it as a glimpse, a foretaste of that day, only a short time from this day only a few weeks away when he would ride up into heaven on the clouds, when he would enter into the holy city up above, the new Jerusalem, and come before the saints and the angels to the glorious praises and worship of all the inhabitants of heaven, waving their palm fronds and singing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive glory and blessing and honor. This glorious and triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem also points us to our hope. Jesus rode up into heaven on the clouds as our Savior, as our King. He rode as one who will take us with him. For us as believers in Jesus Christ, we are going to follow him one day and enter into the gates of the holy city. For us as Christians, we don't have to be afraid of death and dying because death is not the end for a believer, but death is merely God opening up the gates of the holy city, the new Jerusalem, and Jesus taking us on the back of his colt 
and bringing us up into glory to enter into the splendor of his kingdom, to enter into the joy of the Lord, to enter in with the sound of the shouts of saints and angels, and to come before the city, into the city of the great king. In Revelation chapter 7, we find a beautiful vision of the saints who have gone before us. Revelation 7 verse 9, John says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, and people, and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Palms in their hands. The saints that John saw there in the holy city are waving palm branches in their hands and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. That's what we have to look forward to. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be sometime later this week. Whether we are young or old, we do not know. But we know that Jesus will ride down here for us on his glorious steed. And he will bid us follow him into the glories of what is sometimes called the celestial city, the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. Don't you want to go there? Don't you want to enter into his kingdom? Don't you want to leave behind this world with its troubles and sorrows, temptations and afflictions? That's our hope. But there's something more in the text that we have to see and that also contains important instruction for us as long as we live here on this earth. Jesus also entered into Jerusalem very intentionally and visibly as a lowly king. When Jesus was walking down the road on the Mount of Olives, he did not send those two disciples to fetch for him a great white stallion with a magnificent saddle and beautiful garments overlaying it. That would have been a symbol of power, of earthly prestige, and earthly royalty and beauty and luxury. Surely, if Jesus had ridden on a great white horse, that would have commanded the admiration of the people as well. But Jesus chose to ride upon an ass, a donkey. And that animal was a symbol of peasantry and poverty and lowliness. Jesus not only rode upon an ass, he rode upon a colt, the foal of an ass. He rode on 
a little one, a baby one. Yes, it had never been ridden on by another, and in that sense it was prepared for a king. Nevertheless, it was a donkey, a baby donkey. That, first of all, sends a very clear message about Jesus' intention and what he was about to do in Jerusalem. In the second place, Jesus did not ride into Jerusalem at the front of an impressive legion of well-armed, well-trained, well-ordered soldiers, as one might see from time to time in the Roman world. You imagine a centurion or a legionnaire clad in his armor with his sword and spear riding on his powerful horse, And behind him is a long, orderly line of well-trained soldiers about to go into the royal city. Or you think of Caesar at the front of his army. No. Jesus led a group, a ragtag group, a small and lowly band of women, children, and men who were swarming disorderly all around him, shouting and cheering in a jumbled mass of cheers, that was what Jesus led into the city. And in the third place, he did not ride into Jerusalem clothed with royal apparel, wearing on his head a beautiful and precious diadem, a crown fit for a king. He didn't hold in his hand a golden scepter, but he was just wearing his ordinary robe, and sandals. That's all. But Jesus did all of this on purpose. He did it to show us, to teach us the nature of his kingdom and work. First of all, to teach us the nature of his kingdom. His kingdom is not going to be an earthly kingdom but a heavenly one. It's not going to come in the way of power, of physical warfare. It's not going to come with wealth and prestige, but in the way of lowliness and suffering, mockery and rejection. He wanted to show furthermore why he as the king was coming into Jerusalem. He was not riding into Jerusalem to topple Pontius Pilate. Or Herod. He was not riding into Jerusalem to to remove Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. He was not coming into Jerusalem to begin a kingdom that would eventually remove Caesar from the throne of Rome and even defeat all the barbarians around the Roman Empire until a glorious, mighty, rich kingdom would extend from sea to sea and cover the whole globe. No, he came to do something even more glorious, something even more wonderful. He came riding into Jerusalem to rise to an even higher throne. He came to do battle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and all of the rulers of this present darkness against the devil and his host to do battle with the greatest, most fearsome enemies that exist in the world that cannot be seen. He came into Jerusalem 
to rise up to a throne at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and to reign over the whole universe. But he came to rise to that throne by first lowering himself to the deepest reproach and pains of hell. To lower and humiliate himself to the greatest suffering of the wrath of man and the wrath of God. And further still, he entered into Jerusalem on the colt of an ass to show that this event marks the beginning of the last week of his life on this earth, the Passion Week. This week, his suffering will intensify until it culminates at the cross. Those who were swarming around him were of the hopeful expectation that Jesus is now going to come into Jerusalem to stay, that he's going to establish a glorious kingdom that will last forever and ever here on earth. No, only one week remains. He's coming up to Jerusalem to suffer and die. He had told his disciples, I must go to Jerusalem to be rejected, to be despised, to be killed, and to rise again the third day. And then we must note that with all of that in the back of our minds, Jesus was already suffering as he rode into Jerusalem. In the midst of all of the praise and the acclamation and the accolades that the people were giving to him, Jesus was silently suffering already. Because Jesus was pondering that the end of this road was Calvary on the northwestern side of the city. That's where it all ends. And Jesus was pondering the fact that these people, with all of their shouts and praises, did not understand why he was coming into Jerusalem. They did not understand the nature of his kingdom and what he was about to do. And he was pondering the fact that while at the moment he hears, Hosanna, 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 soon he will hear, crucify him, crucify him, away with him. That's what he was pondering as he rode into Jerusalem. Those who were saying, this is our king, would soon be saying, we have no king but Caesar. Jesus actually began to weep at one point. Luke 19, verses 41 through 44. We have to picture him riding on that little donkey. And he comes to a point on the Mount of Olives where he has a clear view of the city of Jerusalem out there. The whole city, there it is. And the tears begin to fall from his eyes. Because he knows, Jerusalem will reject me. Jerusalem will crucify me. And Jerusalem will be burned by the Romans down to the ground as a judgment of God. The shadow of the cross hung over Jesus as he rode into the eastern gate of the city David once ruled. Jesus teaches us some things, some things by his example here. 
he teaches us about humility and lowliness and suffering. By nature, we don't like to humble ourselves. We don't like to deny ourselves. And we don't like to suffer. Jesus asks if we're willing to get on the back of the colt of the ass with him. But we much prefer to ride in style. We much prefer to enjoy the treasures and pleasures of the world. We're not all that different, are we? From the multitude of the people around Jesus who were of the misconception that now a glorious Jewish kingdom is going to be established and we will receive all of our earthly desires, dreams, and ambitions. We're the same way. We like to ride in style. We like to have people admire us and praise us for our good looks, for our good style, for our nice clothes and beautiful homes, for our skills and our charm and our wit and our achievements. We like to bask in the admiration of men and the praises of others. We like to be liked. We like to be popular. We like to be praised and respected. We like it when people boost our ego. But Jesus says, won't you get on the back of this ass with me? Jesus tells us, you have to learn to ignore the praises and the accolades and the admiration that men might give to you. Men, that is, who value the wrong things in life. Men or women who have their hearts set on the wrong kind of treasure in this world. Men or women who are devoted to the wrong goals and ideals. Maybe they will look at your possessions and admire you for it and point out how glorious and beautiful it is and how wonderful you must be to have those possessions, to have that wealth, to be able to have that prestige and that honor and that popularity. Jesus says, ignore it. Don't listen to all of that. Get on the back of the colt, of the donkey with me, and let's ride into the city. I have something far better for you. I have a celestial city for you. I have an everlasting treasure for you that moth cannot corrupt and rust and thieves cannot break through and steal. I have something for you up above. It's waiting for you. It's there for you. You're going to inherit it. You're going to receive it from me by faith. Now humble yourself. Because except a man humble himself and become as a little child, he shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. The whole scriptures teach us to put on the mind of Christ. Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he is worthy of all praise, he is the Lord God himself, 
yet he came down into the world. He lowered himself. He clothed himself in an ordinary, cheap robe, the garments of poverty. And he rode upon the beast, the steed of poverty. He didn't come for earthly treasures. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That is, the mind of humility, the mind of esteeming others better than yourselves, the mind of not only looking on your own things, but also looking after the things of others, living a life following in the footsteps of Christ, a life of self-denial, self-sacrifice, and seeking of the good of others. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. There's instruction for us as office bearers in a special way. As the king rode into Jerusalem, we are now his representatives in the church and in the world, pastors, elders, and deacons, professors of theology. Jesus calls to us in a very special way. Get on to the ass with me. Humble yourself. It was just in the previous chapter, Matthew 20, that the disciples had been squabbling with each other about who is the greatest in the kingdom. I'm going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. No, I should be the one who's acknowledged. No, I should be the one who gets the respect. No, people should listen to my opinions. No, people should follow my advice. And Jesus said to them, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus calls us office bearers to follow him. Come with me, he says. Follow me. Humble yourselves. Put on a servant's heart. Do not seek to be chief. Do not seek to be great. Seek to be lowly. Seek to serve. Seek to help. Seek the good of others. And then God will exalt you in due time and give you a crown of glory. By this triumphal and lowly entry into Jerusalem, Jesus fulfilled a prophecy of old. In Zechariah 9, verse 9, toward the very end of the Old Testament, God inspired that prophet to write this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. And Matthew points out to us in our text, verse 4, 
All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. Notice two things. First of all, Jesus reveals in this event that he is God himself, fulfilling God's own word. When Jesus came down the road from Bethany to Jerusalem, and that little village of Bethphage was there, he sent those two disciples and told them exactly what they would find. How did he know that? How did he know that there was a donkey there, a mother donkey with its baby donkey, sitting tied up right there in that village over there? And how did he know exactly how the owners would respond if they would attempt to take it away? Because he is God who has all knowledge. And here, a flash of his divinity comes out. And so Jesus is showing us that he is very deliberately and knowingly fulfilling the prophecy of God's word. And in the second place, Jesus told his disciples that if the owners would object, they should say, the Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. The Lord hath need of this donkey. He needs it. We know very well Jesus didn't need that donkey to go into Jerusalem. He was always walking down the roads everywhere he went. But he needed it that time. He needed it to fulfill the prophecy of old. This gives us tremendous comfort and hope. Just as God prophesied through Zechariah that the Messiah would come just and lowly and riding upon the colt of a donkey. So also God has prophesied through visions that he gave to John that this same Messiah will come back again, but this time not on a donkey. Revelation 19, verse 11. John says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And John sees this great Lord sitting on this majestic white horse burst forth from the clouds of heaven, surrounded by the armies of the angels of heaven. And he takes the beast and the false prophet and casts them into the lake of fire, and he gives victory and salvation to his people. Just as God fulfilled the first prophecy, we can be sure he will fulfill the last. Just as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, we can be sure he'll ride back on the great white horse. And what a day that will be when we will wave our hands and shout, Hosanna to the Son of David. Save now, we beseech thee, O Lord. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Amen. Our Father and our God, we give thanks to thee for the glorious gospel. 
of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We give thanks to thee for the fulfillment of prophecies of old and the hope of future fulfillment. May we, Father, be filled with joy and hope as we hear of the glorious entry of our Savior into the holy city. And may we look forward with great eagerness to our own personal entry into glory and to the great day when that holy city will come down from heaven into the new heaven and the new earth where we may dwell with thee for all eternity.